Well, welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. And uh, we finished book two of Psalms last week. And in between books, we take a break and study another uh, short book of the Bible. I've chosen the book of Judges, feel inspired to cover that book. Uh, it's a very intriguing story uh, in the book of Judges. And it has a lot to do, I think. We can relate to what's happening in our world today. So I think there's a lot of lessons for us from Judges. Let's open with a word of prayer. And then we'll get into uh, Judges chapter 1. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, pause before you as we do uh, to acknowledge you, Father, and to thank you. Uh, what, a, what a privilege, what a blessing it is that of all the people on the earth, you have handpicked us, you've selected us, and you've opened our hearts and our minds to Jesus Christ and put in us a desire, a deep desire, to not only understand your word, but to live by your word. We pray, Father, that as you deepen our understanding, you deepen our faith and our conviction, and help us, Father, to walk by the, the light in your word in a very, very dark world, in a world that is uh, spiraling out of control and getting darker and darker. We praise you, Lord, for this knowledge. Uh, we pray that you'll bless our study now. Uh, bless those who are tuning in live and those who are tuning in later. And we ask all of this, Lord, in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're up to uh, the book of Judges, and when we think of Judges, I think we tend to think of uh, people who sit in a courtroom and, and make decisions. And that's really not the way I want us to think about Judges as we uh, enter into this study. The, the, the real meaning behind Judges, a better word would be deliverers or saviors. So these are many saviors of Israel that uh, throughout this journey, Israel's going to get into trouble. And when Israel's in, in terrible trouble, because of God's love for Israel, he, he rises up a, a savior, a mini-savior, to take them out of trouble. So we're going to, after a couple of chapters of introduction, then we're going to get into the career, or the careers, of these judges. And for each of the judges, we'll see how they delivered Israel from their enemies, or from her enemies. And, and despite Israel's uh, downward spiral, we're going to see very clearly God's love for Israel. So, uh, and, the, and the way to um, think about the pattern in the book of Judges is this, uh, and I remember doing this with our youth uh, years ago, uh, and, I, I, and they've never forgotten it. Years later, they will, they'll quote me. Um, and it's just think of A, B, C, D. There's this downward spiral within the book where Israel commits apostasy. And because of the covenant agreement that they have with God, when they commit apostasy, then God causes them to be beaten, to be beaten down, to be, to be uh, just really uh, the, the, the burden of, of, the, of the, the covenant, that they are beaten down. As a result of that, that battering or that beating, they cry out to God. That's the sea. And then when they cry out to God, because of his commitment to Israel, and because of his love for Israel, he delivers them. And then when they're delivered and they're at, they're at peace, what do they do? They commit apostasy again. Because of the covenant, there's a battering or a beating down. Because of that battering, they cry out to their God. And when they cry out to their God, because of his love for them and his covenant with them, he has mercy on them, he raises up another deliverer and he delivers them. Then what do they do? They, they, they go into apostasy again. So that is the pattern that we're going to see 
throughout the book of Judges. And as we go through it, I'll just remind you, you know, where we are in each stage. But let's, uh, let's begin the book. And uh, be be before we get into, um, before we get into the actual um, text, I just want to begin here in Deuteronomy 7. And in Deuteronomy 7, just we're going to get some context. I want to get a bit of context from Deuteronomy, a bit of context from Joshua, and a bit of context from Isaiah before we get right into Judges. And then we'll read uh, chapter 1 together. Um, and chapter 1 and 2 and a little bit of 3 are the introduction to Judges. Then from 3 to 17, we see the different careers of these deliverers and how they delivered Israel uh, based on Israel crying out. And then the final chapters, uh, we'll see sort of an epilogue, a conclusion uh, to the book. Now, um, in that, in that uh, introduction, I want us to go back to Deuteronomy. So let's look at uh, Deuteronomy 7. And just again, this is just to get context. If we go to Deuteronomy 7 and verse 1, When the Lord your God shall bring you into the land where you go to possess it, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. So these nations that are going to be uh, cast out of the land, they're greater nations than, they, they, like if you were to look at this logically, it would make no sense. Israel cannot go into this land of these very powerful people and take it away from them. But the fact is, people wouldn't see this on the surface, but behind the scenes, this is land that God has ordained for his bride. His bride is Israel. He's in this covenant relationship with Israel. And although they're a small nation, and they've just come out of slavery, he has chosen them, and he's giving them the land of these mighty nations. So he's going to take away the land uh, from these nations, and, and it's going to be brutal. Israel is going to go in and brutal, brutally take the land from these people. And this is not unlike Noah's flood. The flood was brutal. And God chose at that time to remove the wicked people from the land using water. And water can be very violent. And, and that was the way he did it then. Then he promised Noah he would never use water again. Now he's going to remove these people from this specific piece of real estate that he promised to Abraham and to Abraham's sons and son and grandson. And he's going to use Israel, almost like a flood, to remove these nations because the wickedness of these nations is unprecedented. To this, it, it, it's, a, it's extreme wickedness. And so God has had it with these people and he's going to remove them. As we read the book of Judges, uh, and even if you read Joshua, there's a lot of violence. As Israel goes in to take the land, there's a lot of violence. And the Muslims today will say, you know, what we're doing is no different than what you see in the Bible. The Bible is a very violent book. It is totally different. So what the Muslims do, what their jihad, what their, this has nothing to do with the God of Israel. A couple of differences. Number one, the land that Israel was to take was very specific. God outlined very specifically the real estate and nothing else. They cannot, they cannot take, 
In fact, on their way to the land, there are times when they're passing through, for example, the land of Esau. And God says to them, do not trouble this land. Do not take this land I've given to Esau. You're, I'm giving you specific land. So it's not a worldwide take all the land. It's not a land grab. Anything your eyes sees, take it. Not at all. It's specific land that has promised to Abraham that God is telling the children of Israel to go in and take. Uh, number two, they can only take the land under God's auspices. When you Later when you read, for example, uh, King Saul, when he acted presumptuously without the uh, permission of, of God's priest, that was the end of his kingdom. So it's not just, it's not this, this um, wanton violence uh, that's just anything goes. And also when they took the land, the possessions came under the, the bands. That is to say, the possessions were now dedicated to God. And what did they do with those possessions? They had to completely burn them up. That this, this, it was not a way just for them to be enriched, that they were to take these possessions and completely uh, burn them in dedication to God. You'll never see Muslims do that. When they go in and they rob and they steal and they loot, it's to enrich themselves. And that's in fact how Muhammad was able to build such a big army because it was, it was uh, these criminals would join him because it was a way for them to get wealthy. And so they could steal and plunder and, and, and raid and, and he would give them the spoils. And, and he was able to attract some very violent people, uh, some very ruthless people who saw the material advantage of joining him. And now they, they take that all around the world. So never believe that what the Muslims are calling jihad has anything to do with what is the, the violence that we see here in the Bible. So we see here that these nations, seven specific nations, and there's a specific plot of real estate that is being given to Israel. And when the Lord your God shall deliver them, so it's God that will deliver them before you, you will smite them. So here's the violence now. You shall smite them and utterly destroy them. This is from God. He's not using a flood of water. He's using the flood of it, the Israelite army. You will smite them and utterly destroy them. So, so, so what's the instruction? The instruction is to utterly destroy them. Let's not forget that. So the instruction for Israel, when you go in, smite them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no agreement with them, make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. What does God want? Does, does, you know, and, and so many times people think that God is this uh, very soft, very anything goes, everything is about mercy. No, God is saying when you go in, I don't want you to show them any mercy. You're to go in to take the land, don't make any agreements with them, and show them no mercy. God is, in the same way the people of the flood, there was no mercy. The flood just covered everybody. So in the same way Israel must go in and show no mercy uh, and make no agreement with them. Why? Because you are a holy people unto the Lord your God. You're different. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself. This is a selection. This is the election that the Lord God of the universe, the creator of the universe, has chosen Abraham. And then from Abraham, he chose Isaac. And from Isaac, he chose Jacob. And the, the, the 12 tribes of Jacob. And this was a choice that God made. And what we must understand about God is he is not double-minded. So this selection, this election, 
is an eternal election. They have been selected eternally. So the Lord your God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. This is, I'm, you know, I feel like I have to apologize, but I don't. This is the scripture. So there's all kinds of people on the earth, all kinds of tribes of people on the earth. And, and today the whole culture is about fairness and, and everything must be fair and everybody must be treated the same. Well, God is not fair. He's just. But nowhere in the Bible does God say he's fair. He chooses whom he chooses. He has mercy upon whom he has mercy. He's just and he's righteous. And so he has chosen this people, the people with this DNA, to be a special people for himself. Above everybody else. There's a, there's a two-tier system in the world. There's Israel, and then there's everybody else. But it's not that the selection is not just so that Israel can glory in themselves. The selection is service. He has chosen these people in order to bring redemption to the whole world. So the whole world is going to ultimately be blessed by this selection. And in fact, again, another difference between the, the jihadis and what we see here in the Bible, the Bible, the, the, the fundamental truth behind the Bible is the resurrection. That all of these people that die, all the people that died in the flood, all the people that died here from the invasion into the promised land, everybody will be resurrected and brought back to life and educated and given the option to, to pursue eternal life. In the Islamic ideology, Allah, is, Allah just wants to kill. And Allah just wants to burn people in hellfire forever. So as the jihadis go out and they slaughter, their ideology is that they are sending people to hell forever, where Allah will torture them forever and ever and ever. That's the Islamic ideology. It has nothing to do with the God of Israel. And so Israel has been chosen as a priest class to bring redemption to the whole world. He goes on to say, the Lord did not set, listen to this, the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. So this is a, a love relationship. He, he set his love upon these people. And it's an eternal love. It's a love forever. This is, this is the God of Israel. It's a love forever. Now, fast forward to the, the tail end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 34. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo. So this is the end of Moses' life now. He brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. They went, wandered through the wilderness. That whole generation had to die off. He's given the law to the second generation. They're now ready to go into the promised land. And he goes up at the end of his life to the mountain of Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim. So this, this land that was promised to uh, Ephraim, it has specific borders for the tribes. And Moses was not able to go into the promised land, but from this mountain, God showed him the whole land, and how it was to be divided to the different tribes. So all the land of Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah, unto the utmost sea, and the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho. You can imagine how overwhelming this is. These are the people that were slaves. 
These are the people that were being brutalized by the most powerful empire at the time. And God took them out of that slavery and he made them a nation and he made a covenant with them. And now they're going into the promised land to be this peculiar people above all the peoples of the earth and to bring salvation and redemption to the whole earth. And Moses is now seeing the vastness of the land that is being given to them to establish the, the empire, the kingdom of Israel. And the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of the palm trees unto Zor. And the Lord said unto him, listen to what the Lord said unto him, this is the land which I swore unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob. What did God do? He swore. Moses is looking at this vast real estate and he's hearing from God that God is under an, an unbreakable oath. God is under an unbreakable promise that this land belongs to this people that he has chosen forever. These are the elect people and this land belongs to them. That means that no one else can have this land. No one else. And God is going to ensure that he never breaks his promise. So this is part of the underlying understanding of the reality of the world today, that it's not right because God has not come through and finished this promise because Israel has let him down. But although Israel has let him down, he has not forgotten this promise. Why? Because he swore. He's under oath. He's under an eternal obligation to these people. And we can't just say, oh, well, the church replaces these people now. That would be a breaking of the promise. That would be a different promise. No, this is the promise that he has sworn unto Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, that this is the land that they will say, that they'll have saying, I will give it unto your seed. This is for your seed. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So we know the story that because of Israel driving Moses to distraction, you know, God's people can be very rebellious and they're always second guessing the leadership and always pushing back and always have a better idea. And, and for Moses, it just drove him to distraction to the point where it caused him, after everything he did to sacrifice for Israel, it caused him to lose the ability to go into the promised land. So his successor was Joshua. And Joshua was the one that would then take them into the promised land. Joshua 1, he says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister or servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. This is their land. Verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. This is yours, and I, this is an oath that I have made with your fathers. And, and I, I cannot go back on my word. So every place that, your, that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. But Moses understood, and now Joshua is understanding. Verse 8. <clears throat> now, there's a proviso. As, as God is going to work with these people, it's not just go in and do as you like. It's, you know, these people are extremely wicked. Extremely, talk about pornography and, and, and venereal disease inside children. Uh, they talk about pedophilia. Every evil, a bestiality. That's what these people were all about. And God had it. 
go in, wipe these people out. These are Satan worshippers. Get rid of them, and I'm going to give the land to you. And through you, I'm going to bring the whole world into truth. But there's a proviso now. He says to Joshua, this book of the law, and Joshua's teaching the people this as well, this book of the law that Moses gave them shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, for then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. So this is the covenant. It's not a free ride. There's an obligation. You're to be this, this peculiar people that the rest of the world can look to and say, what a wise people. What a great God they serve. Let, let's conform our ways to their ways so that we can be blessed like them. So they're, they're to be wedded to the law, the book of the law. Now let's fast forward to Joshua chapter 24. Uh, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. Even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. This is your heritage. You, like everybody else, have come from idolaters. And your fathers came, were, were committing this idolatry. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau. Now listen to this. And I gave unto Esau Mount Seir. Amazing. This is a tremendous uh, uh, stronghold that was given to Esau. So Esau could become very powerful. So he gave Mount Seir to Esau to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. And there was a promise to Abraham that your seed will be in bondage for 400 years. And then they'll be released from that bondage. And, you know, you have um, many black people today who look at the Atlantic slave trade in North, to, to, to Africans to North America and say, hey, Africans were enslaved for 400 years, therefore Africans are Israel. But you just have to read the Bible to say that that promise was fulfilled when Israel was taken captive by Egypt and were in bondage for 400 years. And then they came out of bondage and then these promises were fulfilled and they became a nation. If, so. Instead of giving um, Jacob a mount like Mount Seir, instead they were given, they were taken to Egypt where they were enslaved because God had a plan for them. That coming out of this humiliation and degradation, he would then from that degradation make them the greatest nation on earth so that it would be clear that this is the work of God. So Esau had Mount Seir, but Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt, because he has chosen the seed. So I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them, and afterward I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came unto the sea, 
And the Egyptians pursued after your fathers, these powerful Egyptians, pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And you dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan. And they fought with you, these very powerful people, powerful nation, the Amorites. They fought with you. So after I released you from Egypt, now the Amorites fought with you. And I gave them into your hand. I, God, intervened. And I gave them into your hand, that you might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Miraculously, they were put down in your very sight. And then in verse 19, just fast forward here, Joshua 24, 19. And Joshua, so that's the whole history that, he, that, that, that they have to understand. That they're a, a chosen people, and God is with them, and God, is, God has been working with them through Egypt, that whole experience, bringing them out of Egypt, the whole wilderness experience, uh, the taking over the Amorite land, and now it's time for them to possess, all the tribes for them to possess their land. And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord. You cannot serve Jehovah. Why? For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. You're entering, you're in this marriage covenant. He's not going to tolerate a, a, a spiritual adultery. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. There's a covenant in place. And if you break the covenant, it's going to break you. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and destroy you after that he has after that he has done you good and and he understood this from what Moses said in Deuteronomy 30 that here in Deuteronomy 28 and 29 here are the blessings here are the curses um, but then in Deuteronomy 30 he says you know what you're gonna get the blessings but you're also gonna get the curses because you're not going to retain the loyalty so he will do you hurt and destroy you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, no, oh, no, 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 no. But we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, listen to what he says to the people. You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord. You have voluntarily entered into this marital arrangement, this covenant agreement. And now you are witnesses against yourselves. You will have to admit that you, I gave you the option to opt out, but you said, no, 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 we will definitely serve the Lord. Okay. Your witnesses, and remember this language that you are witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, yes, we are witnesses. Now let's explore that. And we, we studied this uh, when we studied Isaiah, but let's just review Isaiah again. What did the prophet say in Isaiah 43? And he says this in a couple of places in Isaiah, but let's look at it in Isaiah 43, verse 7. Even everyone that is called by my name. So this, these people, Israel, Israel, the, the, the prevailed with God. They, they, God is in their name. His name is with them. He, they're married to him. It's like when a wife takes on a husband's name. Even everyone that is called by my name. For I have created him, that is Israel, and the people of Israel, for my glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. So Israel is for the glory of the God, of, of the God of the universe. 
that these people who stand alone, these pecu this peculiar nation, are there to bring glory to God's name. Verse 8, bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. So this was the curse in Isaiah 6, that Israel, Judah, were to be cursed. That in seeing they wouldn't see, and in hearing they wouldn't understand. And now at this time, God is saying, bring them forth. Because now the veil has been lifted from them, and they can finally see, and they can finally understand. So, in fact, when the curse is laid down in Isaiah 6, that curse is laid down until Jerusalem is destroyed. Once that abomination of desolation is put in place, that's when the curse is lifted. They finally realize who they are, who God is. They come to their senses. And so now we have that. That's the period we're in now. And now in this period, God has returned. He's on the earth. And he has a contention with the nations, the nations that he did not choose, because he chose Israel. And so he says in his contention, let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. So now it's a kind of, think of it like a courtroom. There's been this incredible global hatred against Judah and against the people of Israel, the tribes of Israel. And there's been this global effort to destroy, humiliate, enslave them. When Jesus returns, he returns to save his people. And all the tribes of the earth mourn because of him. But Judah and Israel rejoice. They rejoice because of him. So now he gathers all the nations and his people. And now he asks a question of the nations. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? God is saying, I'm listening. I'm listening. All you powerful nations with all your plans and your schemes and your plots, explain to us what is happening here. How is it that you're all gathered, and I'm here, and here's Judah, and here are the tribes of Israel that you wanted to destroy, that you wanted to eliminate, that you wanted to humiliate and enslave. Well, 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 what have we here? To explain to me what's going on. And could you ever have predicted that you would be in this position? So who among them can explain this? And, and, and maybe tell us that they have some kind of prophecy in the past. Let's open up the Quran and see if there's anything in there that can explain what's happening here. Let them bring forth their witnesses. What do you have? How do you explain what's happening here? That they may be justified. Because I'm about to unleash some serious wrath upon these people. But maybe they have an explanation why they were behaving the way they do. Maybe they can explain this. Or let them hear and say it is truth. So they have a choice. They can open up their scriptures and give justification for why they were doing all the evil they were doing to God's people and how it is that they're now standing before God and God's people, he's come to rescue them and they're in this courtroom setting and they need to give an explanation. Or they can shut up, shut up and listen and say, yes, the scriptures are true. It is truth. And then God turns to his people, Israel and Judah, and says, just as, just as it was laid down, you are my witnesses. You're witnesses against yourself, that you brought all of this upon yourself. But the same way, God took them into Egypt, and they were enslaved in Egypt. And then God acted on their behalf and brought them out of Egypt and established them as a nation. Now, in the same way, uh, through the Babylonian the end-time Babylon, 
they have again been subjugated. They have again been humiliated and enslaved. This time it's their own doing. And that's why Christ had to come as the Messiah to represent Israel and, and, and fulfill the covenant so that Israel can now still live through the, that God does not break his covenant. It's actually fulfilled through Christ and they accept Christ. So God says to his own people now, the nations have no witnesses. They can't explain this. But his people can explain it. His people can open the law and say, we brought all of this upon ourselves. We, we are his witnesses. Look, look at us. Look, look at us in our rags. Look at, our, look at us in our humiliation. Look at us in our enslavement. And we brought it all upon ourselves because we agreed to be in covenant with God. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. So God doesn't, he's not double-minded. And this replacement theology is from the devil. When God chooses, he chooses. When God marries, he marries. That's it. He covenants once and he covenants forever. And the new covenant is really the renewed. He takes the same covenant and renews it with the same people because he's chosen them. You're my servant whom I've chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. So open up your scriptures, read your scriptures and see that everything that has befallen you is exactly faithful to the covenant. That you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. So all these other false gods, it's all nonsense. There's only one God. I, even I, am the Lord. And beside me, there is no Savior. So they might be running to other people and hoping that these other nations will save them. No. These other nations will betray you. Gentiles will always betray you. Their only Savior is Christ. I have declared. And when did he declare? All the way back in the Torah. So from Moses, Moses made the declaration. And then we've just been, all the other prophets are just repeating what Moses declared way back when. So in the Torah, God says, I have declared and have saved according to the covenant. And I have shown when there was no strange God among you. So they started out well. Therefore, you are my witnesses, Israel and Judah. You are my witnesses. You can explain to the whole world what is going on here. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am the only true God. There is no other explanation. Yes, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. So when God takes these people to, to, into subjugation, nobody can deliver them. But when he chooses to deliver them and to subjugate the Gentiles, no one can deliver the Gentiles. God does as he pleases, and nobody can, can oppose him. Yes, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall stop it? So we have to be able to look at the world through the lens of the scriptures. Nobody has a clue what's going on. Everybody, the whole world is in this state of shock because things are happening so fast. Everybody's confused. And yet we can search the scriptures and understand exactly what's happening. This whole COVID-19 global pandemic. Well, didn't Christ say that there's going to be pestilence in, in the end time, followed by famine. So that's the next thing, economic collapse eventually. And he says pestilence is plural, not just one pestilence, multiple. So this is just the beginning. And then followed by famine. And then that famine, when the, when the economy collapses, brother betrays brother. It gets so brutal. And that the devil is able to bring out the worst in humanity. People think the economy is a joke. People think the economy doesn't matter. And they have this sort of, uh, this sort of holier than that. Oh yes, 
Even if the economy crashes, yet will I serve the Lord. And even if the Lord betrays me, I'm so faithful, I would never betray the Lord. Like this Job-level self-righteousness. We better, let him who thinks he stand, take heed, lest he fall. We're entering into some very serious times. Some very dangerous times. And we better be studying our scriptures so that we can understand what's going on. And that God will be faithful to his word. He says, I will work. And who's going to stop it? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. God, the God of the universe, is the Redeemer of Israel. And through Israel, the Redeemer of mankind. There's an order of operations. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Not the Holy One of the Gentiles. He's the Holy One of Israel. For your sake have I sent to Babylon. The same way it was for Israel's sake that he sent to Egypt and put down Egypt. Now in this end time, it's Babylon that he contends with. For your sake I have sent to Babylon, and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans whose cries in the ships. God has chosen Israel, and he's never replaced her. He has covenanted with her. And even though she's been unfaithful, he is faithful. He's not man. He's God. And he remains faithful to her. And for her, for the love of Israel, he puts down Babylon. And when we read Judges, the, the, the only conclusion that we can come to at the end of the book, when we finish studying this book, is that God loves these people. They are completely faithless. They are awful. They are wicked people. That under any logic, they should be thrown out. And it's over by the end of Judges. Except for the fact that God has chosen them. That's why at the end of Judges, Israel remains a nation. Remains in covenant with God. Because he's in covenant with them. That he's made an unbreakable promise to these people. So, so in the end time, that promise still comes, still comes true. He puts down the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships. Back to Joshua now as we lead into Judges. And at the end of the book of Joshua, we see this. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. So Joshua and, and the people, the elders that were with him, they experienced these miracles firsthand, they, they, or they knew of them firsthand uh, from Moses and from Joshua, from Caleb. They, were there, they, they understood this. And then, I don't know if they stopped telling the stories, or the next generation just didn't care, but while Joshua was alive, so, so there's Moses, and then that leadership passes on to Joshua and the elders. And then once this generation, these, these people die, the leadership is gone. And that's another lesson in the book of Judges, is the need for godly leadership. And, and some of the uh, scholars believe that Judges was written by Samuel. As, as, the, as the final transition from Judges into Kings, and that he wrote it for Saul. So that Saul would read it and understand as he begins the, the kingship of Israel, that he would understand the vital importance of, of, of uh, faithful leadership and the impact of leadership on the people. So he says here that they uh, were faithful and they did, they followed the Lord. And that now introduces us to the book of Judges. Now, as we come into Judges, and I just want to um, maybe just before we begin Judges 1, uh, I just want to bring it up to our time. 
because uh, again, the, the pattern that we'll see in judges is apostasy, followed by this battering, followed by crying out, followed by deliverance. So in our time, we see this nation, the, the one nation on the, on the planet right now that should have our attention as a nation is America. It is founded on the biblical principles of, of the, the, the worth of the human being made in God's image and freedom of choice. And we don't see this as a foundation in other nations. And they have chosen the God of Israel. And yet they are apostates. The, the whole notion of religion and faithfulness to the Bible is gone. And so there is this battery that the nation has been suffering. And as it cries out, it, it seems to me, in my, my opinion, that God has sent them a final deliverer. But, and that's another thing we'll see in Judges, that the judges, the saviors, do not have to be super righteous. In fact, we're going to see some judges that are downright awful, and yet God uses them. Because of his love for Israel, because of his love for his people, he, rises up, he raises up people with peculiar characteristics that he can use to save his people. And as his people, we can sit there and say, well, I don't like this and I don't like that. It's not for us to like. It's the fact that God is taking people with peculiar characteristics in order to save his people. Now, we're going to see as we study Judges, the tolerance that his people have to live with the evil people, rather than driving them out as they were instructed. In our modern day, what we have done is there was an attempt, there was this Cold War, and there was this attempt to remove communism, to expunge communism, uh, from the world, but certainly from our nations. But we didn't do that. We are coexisting with them. And that is the source of all of our problems today. And this uh, uh, spy, this ex-KGB spy, Yuri Bezmenov, shared with us the ideology of subversion, what the Marxists planned to do to the West. Number one was demoralization. By, by infiltrating the cultural Marxists, and I've been warning about this for years, the cultural Marxists have infiltrated the educational institutions, and they have seduced the, the, the younger generation with Marxist ideology and demoralized the West from her biblical roots, followed with destabilization. So this is where we are now, this whole destabilization now entering into crisis that we're, we're getting ready for this global crisis, and because people are demoralized, they want to depend on the government. As long as the government sends me checks, oh no, what if the government doesn't send me checks? And, and the bigger and bigger government, that's all Marxist in its ideology. And then once the crisis hits, now they can implement the Marxist government. And that's the, the period they call normalization, where they can bring stability through Marxism. Now, we are being thoroughly brainwashed by the media and i don't know where you get your news but if you depend on any news outlet that is a corporate traditional mass media you are being brainwashed that all of these media channels belong to a handful of global elite marxists that get together and agree how to organize the news and how to brainwash the population and how to demoralize the population and how to how to skew our perception of what's happening to us and so take a look at this this is from um, uh, a channel on the internet 
where uh, we see here uh, just how dramatic the collusion is around the media and how, how they are all, all teaming together to brainwash us. Hi, I'm Fox San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is, is to, to serve, serve our, our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso, Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we are concerned about someone trying to be responsible, one-sided news stories plaguing our country. Plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish these same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media Unfortunately, some members of the media use their platforms to push their own personal bias and agenda to control exactly what people think. And this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 Hi, I'm Fox San Antonio's Jessica so, Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is to... Uh, they, they are actors. We, we've lost the notion of journalism. We've not lost the notion of investigative journalism, where these people have a brain in their head, and they go and they investigate stories, and they report those stories to us. They're just paid actors. And you have these global elite that give them their script. And they just pass on and, and, and brainwash the masses. And we've got to ask ourselves here, uh, we've been fed so long with Donald Trump, the orange man bad, that he's a fascist and he's trying to, you know, he's a dictator, he's Hitler. It's a funny thing that the First and Second Amendment are fundamental to America. Freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, freedom of worship, and the right to bear arms, to protect yourself from the government. If, if he was such a fascist, why would he be fighting to ensure that Americans have the right to bear arms against their government? Because the founders understood that government can become corrupted and the right to, 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 to worship and, and, and think freely. Now, listen to this. For those worried and afraid, please know as long as I am your president, you can feel confident that you have a leader who will always fight for you. And I will not stop until we win. This will be a great victory. This is going to be a victory. And it's going to be a victory that, in my opinion, will happen much sooner than... Uh... Now, I don't know if he's going to have the great victory that he's planning for, but the fact of the matter is, he is fighting for America. And so goes America, so goes the rest of the world. So goes the Western world. Uh, and our freedom really hinges on what God does and the timing with America. But here you have somebody who's actually fighting day and night against the global elite. And we're being manipulated by the media to believe he's the son of Satan. He's the most evil man that ever existed. There's no man more evil than him. And yet you look at the previous administrations and what they did and how they betrayed their people. 
and, and sold everything to China. It's like magic. Magic is all about distraction. Russia, 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 while they're selling the nation to China. Uh, this President Trump comes along and calls out China and completely reconfigures the relationship of China for the sake of the people. So I believe that as we study judges, we'll come to see that these flawed human beings, God used them to deliver Israel from oppression. Unfortunately, what, what he was looking for in the deliverance was repentance. And instead of repenting, they went straight back to apostasy. And that's, that's the nail in the coffin. And, and ultimately, that's why Israel, the nations of Israel, are going to suffer so much. Let's quickly just read now uh, Judges 1. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? So what we'll see here is, is, is first of all, the leadership is gone. There's nobody directing them. There's no Joshua. There's no Moses saying, this is the way to go. They've lost the leadership. But the relationship is such that they're asking the Lord, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? Now notice the answer. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. So of all the tribes, Judah has the prime position. And Judah will go first. And Judah will get the land first. That's how the book begins. Now look how the book ends. In Judges 20, we come to the end of the book, and they ask the same question. And God gives the same answer. But there's a, there's a difference now. And the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of God and said, Which of us shall go up first? So first it was the battle against the Canaanites. They were to go in and to remove the Canaanites completely from the land and not make any agreements with them. And what we're going to see is they were unfaithful. They didn't do this. They dwelt with the Canaanites. And they allowed the Canaanites to corrupt them. And, and the, the, the level of apostasy and idolatry and, and degradation, it's crazy to think these are God's people. But now we're at the end of the book, and they, they have completely adopted the manner of the people around them because they didn't obey God. So now the question is, which of us shall go up first to battle against who? Not the Canaanites but the children of Benjamin. That's how bad this situation has become. They are so out of it that now they're asking of God, and you know, you bless God, God's people, you're blessed. You curse God's people, you're cursed. And now they've come to the point where they want to completely eliminate one of the tribes of Israel. That's where they've come to. Which of us shall go up first against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said again, Judah shall go up first. So it's funny how the, the sort of uh, bracket on the, the book is it opens with this lack of leadership. They don't know what to do. They inquire of the Lord. And the Lord says it's Judah. Judah should go first. At the end, it's the same question. Which of us shall go up? They don't have a leader. And the Lord says Judah shall go first. In the beginning, it's to deal with the Canaanites. And in the end, it's to deal with their own brother. Benjamin. That's how far, how far they have fallen. And, and as we, we're, I'm going to pause here, we'll, we'll get right into Judges 1 um, next week, but I just wanted to set up the context so we have the, the context for the story, and then we'll get into uh, the story next week.
But this 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 is incredible, and and we don't have to look far. We can look at look around our Christian societies today. All those societies that claim Jesus Christ as their God, that have many many churches that are no longer being uh, being uh, utilized. Uh, but but you wouldn't recognize for the amount of children that are being aborted, for the amount of uh, adultery that's being committed, for the fornication in the land, for the for the open welcoming of false gods and open worshiping of false gods and worshiping of the environment just like the Canaanites. It is bizarre. And that's where we've come to. And I think God is just delaying things a bit because what is coming is so horrendous. God is delaying it as much as possible so that more people can come to repentance. And people hate Donald Trump so much. He's so They're so brainwashed to just see him, not, not see him objectively. There, there's Trump derangement syndrome coming from the global elite because he's not one of them. He's pushing against them. Once they get rid of him, wait till they see what comes next. Boy, we've seen, we haven't seen anything but the global elite are getting in position and they're, 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 they're positioning themselves and they do not have any love for mankind. None. And in fact, I'll go further and say they haven't. You think they despise Donald Trump. They despise Christ. And they despise anybody who has the name of Christ. And so let's let's hunker down. Let's get very clear on what what is the storyline, and how do we understand what's going on around us? Because what we will see through all of this, despite the wickedness of God's people, we will come to understand the faithfulness of God. That when He chooses, when He marries, when He covenants, that's it. It's forever. He's faithful to the covenant. So these people who deserve to be destroyed, in the end, they are truly blessed. So we'll, we'll end here for uh, this study as we begin the book of Judges. Uh, God willing, we'll continue next week and finish Judges 1. What a mighty and faithful God we serve. Christ is Lord. Christ is King. Amen.